Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that's still feeling champion. On today's pod, we're relishing the prospect of a trip to Newcastle this evening and asking too if this Kay Burley controversy last year means that Sky can't be considered a great media platform. We'll also be doffing our cap to an ageless Brazilian with about 3% body fat who has done more than most to make our dreams a reality this season. To discuss all this, we've really brought out the big guns. Three guys who are title winners in life. It's Ali, Harry and Adam. Hi Ali, you well pal? I'm champion mate, how are you? I'm very champion, yeah. It's been a wonderful week. Made all the better for uh, United's two losses in 48 hours, which is just, you know... I mean, they're basically Harry Maguire FC, aren't they, according to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was heartbreaking last night. It was so difficult to watch. I, 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 I was like a churning mess of emotions. I kept forgetting <laughs> who I was meant to be cheering for. But uh, you can... Uh, can never be too sad watching a couple of goals going in against the rags, can you? Well, it was it was win win basically. Whoever lost, you could laugh at. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harry, you well? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was a good drinking game last night. How many times it mentioned Maguire? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was weird watching that last night because it got to a point when Liverpool scored the third, where I just wanted Liverpool to absolutely batter him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, every time this 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 time comes around when when you confirm champions, you try and you know compare them to the rest but that feeling when the full-time whistle went it was just nothing compares it's incredible absolutely um adam did you watch the game last night uh i did yeah um i think like harry said there it's been it was an odd game on tuesday especially because weirdly i thought do you know what i quite want them to draw here and just drag this to the end of the week yeah um to avoid the inevitable hangover that has followed me through this week don't tell my employers that but um, <laughs> tuesday was one of those where i thought oh they've they've lost and then i got a text straight away just saying the three letters of doom that just said pub um and the, the rest of the week's just been uh, a bit of a drag i'm not going to lie uh last night's game yeah i'd, I'd agree it was it was one of those where I thought, I don't really care who wins. At one point at the start, when when United went in front, I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind them them battering Liverpool. But then somebody more sensible than me told reminded me that if Liverpool win, it puts a lot more pressure on Chelsea. So yeah, sensibly, yeah. I think that was the right outcome. That's, that's a perfect word for it. It was the sensible choice to, mm. to want Liverpool win. But at the same time, you know, I really don't want it to get Champions League. So it'd be great uh, if they just miss out, though, and they have to play every Thursday next year. Very true. Um, let's stay with you, Adam. Um, how did you? Well, because you mentioned the pub there. Um, yeah. How did you celebrate the confirmation on Tuesday evening that um, Manchester City are the champions of England? I just put my shoes on very quickly and ran through, <laughs> ran, ran through the rain uh, in North Manchester to get to the pub in the hope that it was still open. Um, yeah, we had we had a few drinks um, then. I was in town on Wednesday and had a couple more drinks in the evening to celebrate that. So it's it's been good, but in the back of my mind, I thought it. it I mean, it would have been great to win it against Chelsea. It would have been great to win it on a Friday night, wouldn't it? Like yeah, yeah, going yeah. into tonight, thinking it would have been great if we'd have just needed a point and we could have gone into tonight and just had a great party. But I think we'll be celebrating tonight anyway. So. All is not lost. Yeah, I think the we, what we've lost is the the echoes of '68. You know, to win it at Newcastle would have been quite kind of sweet, uh, particularly yeah. this week being the anniversary of it. So, um, but yeah, Bags can't be choosers. Let's face it; we're happy as it is. Um, Harry, how did you celebrate the title win? And was it did it feel ever so slightly diminished the fact that we didn't do it ourselves on the pitch? 
I watched the game sort of out the corner of my eye while I was sort of doing some work because I had more faith, I think, in Liverpool to to do something right. other than Leicester. Um, but when they when they made it two one, it was very much pacing around my front room with twenty minutes to go. Um, unfortunately for me, I work f- from four a.m. on a Wednesday morning, so th- there wasn't massively <laughs> a drinking experience for me. <laughs> I was just straight on FaceTime to my granddad to share like a moment with him. That was really nice. Um, hopefully, you know. If I'm lucky, I can I can celebrate that in person uh, against Everton. But uh, did it diminish it? Um, maybe ever so slightly. I think we'd probably all agree we'd like to just for just for them to be honest to yeah, have yeah, them out at yeah. full time and uh, experience it. Um, I think all the permutations on Saturday just made me feel a bit rubbish. Obviously, the game meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, but especially the Aguero stuff, it proper put me in a bad mood. I just thought it was written in the stars when he got that penalty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think more than anything, I wanted them to hear the final whistle and celebrate the achievement together. Um, but Pep said the CFA was brilliant, so I, I suppose that's good enough. Absolutely, yeah. Some, I would have loved to have been there. I mean, um, we had pizza apparently at half eleven at night. That was that was a question that was asked in yesterday's press conference. It actually got down to that. What is your favourite pizza? <laughs> uh, do you know what? I think by all accounts, they needed that pizza at half eleven. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the uh, the bottles were were flowing. So I can well imagine. Yeah, um, <laughs> Ali, how does this achievement kind of compare to? No, no, let's kind of ask you as a fan first. Uh, how does this title win compare to the others for you? Oh, uh, as a title win, I think it, it means every bit as much. Um, I don't. I don't feel any any uh, differently about it than than either the other two. Yeah, uh, it feels in terms of actually winning the title. Um, I'm definitely in the kind of anti climax side. Uh, I was really hyped on Saturday for the Chelsea game. Um, at half time, I was thinking we're going to win this, and I'd already planned to to wander along to the Etihad and and. Might hmm. see if I could cheer the bus coming out of the stadium and all that kind of thing. Um, and then it didn't happen. And then it did feel to me like a way I didn't want to win the title, even though it was United losing and, and there's comedy value in that. And you can always uh, you can always enjoy City winning the title by, by United losing a game. Uh, but I'll be honest, um, a bit of me on uh, going into the game on Tuesday and then Thursday was thinking, I really hope United win these so that we can win the title on the pitch yeah, on that. Friday. Um, and so when... when uh, and I, the other thing is that I absolutely assumed that United would come from behind and, and win the game in the 90th minute because that's what they always do. Yeah. <laughs> they, would, they would get a dodgy penalty and and, uh, and we wouldn't actually win the title. So when the final whistle went, um, like I think Harry was saying he wasn't uh, fully paying attention to the game, likewise I had half an eye on, on one window on my laptop and I was like, oh, oh, we're champions then. Um, and it didn't feel... I mean, obviously, nothing will be the ninety-three twenty minute ever for as long as we live. Um, but it didn't even kind of feel as as satisfying as getting over the line. Uh, and and uh, when when we won the Centurions year, mm. obviously we had a few games to to spare, but we were still chasing that objective of the hundred points. That's and, and, last minute as well, and that, yeah, and, and you know, that, that Jesus goal in, in the final minute with the De Bruyne, you know, all of that was, was hugely climactic. So of all of them, uh, you know, this was this was the least satisfying way to, to stumble over the line, if you like. Um 
But there's no getting away from the fact that we were able to stumble over the line because we had such a, a huge lead on those behind us, and, and that's how it's turned out. Uh, but the, the much more important thing is we've got a Champions League final still ahead of us, right. so yeah, we can win the league and the you know the the big prize or or you know the, the other prize is still there dangling ahead of us, which kind of makes it feel much less terminal, if you know what I mean. Um, the season is very much still alive. Ali, do you think uh, it made a difference that there was no United fans in the ground on Tuesday? Because I, think, oh, of course, I think that would have been much more satisfying. Um, oh, totally, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it would have been because obviously we've won it there before through Jay Rodriguez in a really weird scenario. I thought Tuesday's was more satisfying than than when Jay Rodriguez won it in that weird West Brom game. But if there were fans in the ground on Tuesday night and Soyuncu had scored the header, I think it would have been a lot more satisfying just to. Because then you can actually see the frustration. You're a cruel man, I think. You, you can see the tears in the eyes, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> because all it was, it was just 11 players walking off the pitch and yeah. Fernando yeah. shouting at the ref. So it wasn't... You don't get, that, you don't get the faces in the crowd and the crying kids, no, yeah. which is what we live for. So. Even, even the lads outside had gone home, hadn't they? We couldn't even have yeah. a camera out there. He's spot on. The, the best part about the 9320 was watching the fans at Sunderland, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That guy I mean, with the teddy bear hat on. Harry, <laughs> <laughs> um, now it's all kind of settled down because I totally get what you're saying, lads, and I completely agree with you. I had one eye in the game. I expected a, a late equaliser. When it didn't happen, it's like, oh, we've, we're champions now. So, you know, by definition, that doesn't compare to 9320 at all. But, um, no. but now that it's all settled down and you kind of look back on this season and you look back on the achievement Harry how great an achievement is this season for Pep Guardiola in particular yeah I think he personally will have it up there with, with one of his best yeah. um, a lot of articles this week have sort of detailed how much this season has massively disrupted his coaching styles the stuff about like players not being able to eat together be in the dressing room together he loves that sort of team like bonding and spirit Um you know, he still managed to turn around such a poor start and the ability he's shown this season to adapt his methods and sort of rebuild the side to get the best out of his players is why, for me, he's already up there with the all-time greats in terms of managers. Um, losing his best player in the middle of that that massive run as well and uh, with KDB and still getting results by subtly just pushing Gundogan further up the field and getting the best out of him was, was a small but sort of genius move, it turned out in the end. Um... But I think when it's mattered this season, he's got team selections right, which has been a, a massive criticism of him in, in the past couple of years. But for, for him, just because of the massive disruption in the way he likes to operate, I think he'll take a lot of satisfaction out of this season, especially yeah. if we're going on to win the Champions League. Well, I mean, Adam, when you look at the things that he's had to, you know, and I know that every team's had to deal with this, every manager's had to deal with a COVID hit season, but of course not every team has gone on to win the league and, and put in performances like City have. There's been very little time on the training ground as well. Um, I mean, the man's a genius, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. The And I think the other thing is um, there was a lot of talk inevitably about Liverpool's injuries early in the season and they have struggled because of that. That was something that we benefited from and we can't really get away from that. They would have been a lot further up the table. There's yeah. no way they'd be 20 points behind. Um, but on the flip side of that, <laughs> like, like Harry said, we, we dealt with no De Bruyne in that key part of the season. And Sergio and, as well. Yeah, no Aguero all season and Jesus hasn't had his finest of years. So it's been, at times, it was a struggle. 
And the fact that we were, what, 13th in the league after nine games, hmm. and everyone wrote us off, including us. Like, we, we couldn't see a way back. And it was crisis talks, and it was the most ridiculous turnaround from Christmas up until March. Won every single game. It was just, it was just ridiculous that he managed to squeeze the life out of the whole league in a three-month period and just put it to bed. And it will go down as one of his best because it's been the most difficult. Whoever won it this year, it would have been a hell of an achievement. Um, just given the circumstances, no pre-season. Training time was reduced. There was that time within the season where we were having to cancel games because of COVID outbreaks yeah. and half the team was off and not training. So it's been weird. It has been weird for everyone. So like I say, anyone who would have won it will have done well, but... It's been really good. He's changed his his whole outlook, Pep. He he totally changed his his uh, the way that he coaches and the way that he puts the team out, and it's made a difference. He's managed to do what very very few managers have done. Um, I'd say very few. I can't think of anyone other than Ferguson who's properly done it, where he's taken a team to the very top. Um, Pep did it in eighteen nineteen. Took us right to the very top. Obviously, we couldn't get the Champions League over the line, but two of the best Premier League teams. We had a shocker of a season last year, and he's gone away, rebuilt it, rejigged his tactics, changed the way we play, and we've we've won it back. And winning it back is just as hard, if not harder, than retaining it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And it hasn't been kind of mentioned much elsewhere. Um, so much emphasis is placed on, you know, oh, a great team is someone who defends their title and, and wins it two years consecutively. You know, to win it back... That's a mark of a truly great team, I think, yeah. because, you know, it's a lot of the same players and, of course, it's the same manager. Um, unfortunately, we didn't really get the plaudits that perhaps we deserved. Um, just some basic congratulations would be nice from some kind of in the media, but that was denied us. Um, Ali, the usual lot, kind of tweeting out bitter remarks straight after the United loss. Um, certain journalists who clearly just have it in for City, Sky asking if last season's second spot means that City aren't a great team. Uh, predictable or... You know what? A lot of times I write this stuff off and say it's predictable. But in this instance, it just seems so juvenile, so petty. Uh, what was your thoughts on it? Yeah, all of that. Um, I, I, I've made a personal resolution this year to try my absolute damnedest not to rise to any of it. Yeah. Um, well, I think we have to we have to understand or remember that um, football is a game of you know, wild passions and, and irrational prejudices and and um, you know crazy behaviour on behalf of fans all over, and that includes City fans and it includes fans of all other teams. Um, and and football media is is um, trades on hot takes and clicks and, and strong opinions and the people with the most uh, outrageous opinions often do the best in football media as in every other kind of media. Yeah. Uh, so um, whatever club you support, when you have a moment like this, there will be uh, both media figures and fans of other teams who are saying really stupid things. And a lot of it is about kind of uh, psychological defence mechanisms. You know, if, if, if you don't want to face up to the fact that your team is not as good as the other guy's team, um, then you, you humans being humans, we, we come up with ways of, of rationalising that and, and why it was never really fair. Um, and I've kind of, uh, there's somebody, a few people actually this week uh, tweeted out that photo 
of Mario Balotelli from uh, I think the mm. semi final in two thousand and eleven. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he's been screamed at by Rio Ferdinand and Anderson and the other and the other United players, and he's just kind of standing there with with a, le- uh, a look of serene, smug uh, uh, contentment uh, and everything that's going on. And um, as as so often in in every aspect of life, I'm kind of adopting Mario Balotelli as my spirit guide <laughs> and guru. Um, and you know that exact look of, of Mario Balotelli while everybody is screaming in his in his ears is is the exact uh attitude I'm I'm doing my best to strike this week and, and uh for the good of your mental health I would advise any other city fans who are listening to, to adopt a similar one. Yeah. It's it's for the best. Well Harry you're kind of you know embarking on a career in journalism in the media yourself. Kind of hypothetical situation, kind of five years down the line, um United have stormed the league <laughs> um, you're kind of tweeting out there. You're you're a kind of you're a journalist working for an organisation. Would you really seek to undermine their achievement, or would you basically just say, "Well done, Man United"? You know, great team, whatever. Because would you think that it reflects badly on you more than anything? I think it, it's, there's a there's a range of emotions you go through. I think what you've got to do, and what I've resisted doing, especially this season when I've had sort of more time to digest stuff is I've not reacted as soon as it's happened in terms of tweeting stuff. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. the emotional... Because, look, everyone was emotionally annoyed, for example, at Sergio Aguero for chipping that penalty when he could have just smashed it into the back of the net. But they, uh, I don't know, I think people, <coughs> especially straight after the moment, reacting in weird ways. Um, so I've tried to let things settle and take my time and look at it. Um, so if United were ever to be in that position, look, I would take time. And if I was in a position where I had to write about them, <laughs> even though it goes against every single moral I have in my body, <laughs> I'd have to congratulate him because at the end of the day, if, if you've won the, the league after, after 38 games, it's not a fluke. Exactly. Um, yeah. You're definitely the best team in the league. Um, but for me, this sort of stuff makes it even better. Um, if there wasn't any of that, I'd be wondering if someone had robbed Delaney's phone, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but look, this is look, this is the organisation. I mean, the Sky Sports one, I was laughing at. It took 30 minutes after the after the full-time whistle. I mean, this is the organisation that were, that were desperate for Liverpool to win the title, that they actually wrote an article saying if goals from outside the box county double, Liverpool would have been champions in, in 1890. That's ridiculous. But I think it's just very similar to the do the fans care argument we discussed last week? Do we really care if these journalists don't like City as fans? Like, I'm not really losing any sleep over it. Well, I mean, first of all, I should apologise to you because I've been doing this podcast for quite a while now and that is definitely the stupidest question I've ever asked you because imagining United to storm the league. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. I was going to say that. Um, Adam, uh, Harry said that, you know, we shouldn't care about kind of what journalists think about such things and about certain teams. Do you care personally if you see a tweet from Delaney, for example? Does it row you or do you just basically keep scrolling? I think if if we're winning, I find it quite amusing. Mm. So I've taken the stance of if that has to be the first thing that they bring up, then more fool them. Um, I'm in a similar position to, as Harry said about, I have very much taken a backseat to breaking things this year and waiting for them to play out apart from the uh, Super League but everything else it's kind of I just let it wash over me especially if like the the Sky Sports tweets about dozens of fans and stuff they are playing to an audience and having worked in the the circles before 
the bigger audience is United and Liverpool fans. And that is the way that the media works. They they get more clicks from United and Liverpool fans than they will from City fans or any other fans. So if they can play to that audience, they're going to hit the targets that they need. They're going to get the clicks. They're going to get the, the reads and the views. It's just the same with TalkSport. Like, they just put out, they'll throw out the wildest opinion, cut it in a way that makes it even wilder, stick a mad subheading on it and throw it out to the world and it'll get a million views and that's their job done. Their job isn't to to kind of pander to what we think. It's just whoever their audience is that's going to bring them the most money and views. And that's fair enough. I don't really rise to it. I don't follow any of it. So that's part of it. Um but who who really cares? As long as as long as we're the ones who are gonna go and watch City lift the title at the end of the se- end of the season, if all they've got is some weird headlines and a few <laughs> articles, then fair play. You can have that. When's the yeah. parade? I'm not bothered. I mean yeah, can- I'm very much kind of in that camp myself, but I've gotta say in this instance though, it just felt like they weren't even doing their basic job. You know, if, if mm. you're a football journalist or particularly if you're Sky as well, and a team has just won the Premier League, given the welter of content that's gone on through the season, discussing who's going to win the league, who's going to win on Saturday. Oh, it gives them a, you know, this, is this a six pointer? And this is the, the season wrapped up. Surely their job is to just say congratulations to the winning team, but that nah, yeah. I just I just want to say though, if if you're a person out there that's that's that is generally really annoyed about this sort of stuff, there is a lot of really good journalists and really good articles that have been written yeah, on City's success, really and just yeah. just yeah. to focus on them because they write some really good stuff and they know the stuff as well. So if you want to read stuff like that, keep away from that sort of stuff and, and read these sort of articles that have been coming out this week of showing the positives in City season. Oh, okay, here, man, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, can I can I also add, Steve? I yeah. I think. Uh, despite you know Delaney and Sky and all the rest of it, um, all of that stuff I think has been not nearly as bad this year um, as it was a couple of years ago, um, particularly the probably the hundred point season when it was its worst. I think, um, as you know, it wasn't it was the it was the the year we went head to head with Liverpool and, that and was awful. That we was nipped them at the final. They hated that because because they got their hopes up. Um, and actually, you know. What, what we've seen this week, it's been okay. I haven't seen any stuff that's been shaming City fans, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, Delaney is Delaney and he'll always be there. Um, and, of course, social media being as it is, you know, we all can't resist scouring for the worst opinion, then amplifying <laughs> it while ignoring Don't all know, actually quite gracious and, <laughs> and, uh, and complimentary <laughs> things that other people have been saying. Uh, that's just how it is. And, and yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not that bad and we shouldn't stress ourselves I, about it too much. I think uh, Harry makes a great point on some of the good stuff that's been written. And as Ali said, what we tend to do, because the way that us humans work is we will find that bad opinion and we'll give it the space. But some of the stuff that has come out has been like some of the most exceptional stuff I've seen on City. Yeah, like definitely. Paul Hurst and Paul Ballas's. I was about to in the Times. It's like very same article. Yeah, it's astonishingly good. Yeah, and Sam Lee's uh, season wrap is really good. Some of the stuff that's come out has been great, and it's because we don't see that enough. It's not as visible to us as the the snarky remarks. So it is worth us trying to. I think what we should do as City fans on the whole is to try and amplify that more than we do the the dissenting yep. comments. I, I completely agree. And, and I feel bad now because we've turned a negative into a positive and we now have to kind of 
on the next topic turned to another negative, but there's no, <laughs> there's no avoiding this. I mean, the Champions League's on the horizon. City fans are getting messed around left, right and centre. This is a fiasco uh, as regards to the kind of move to Portugal and the tick allocation and which fans are allowed out there, what you can do when you're out there. I've been following this from a distance because I, I've never had any intention of going to this game. And just following it, I can't make head or tail of it. If I was actually involved, if I wanted to go to this game, I've just got absolute sympathy for Blues right now. I mean, they're getting screwed around left, right and centre. Um, Ali, what's your thoughts on it all? I am livid about it, to be honest. I, I was uh, This time last week, we were talking about what UEFA would do, and I said that you know they, they will play the game in Istanbul because they're a bunch of blithering idiots. Um, and... Uh, then, whatever, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, we heard this rumour began that they were going to move it to Portugal instead. And my first thought was, well, actually, Portugal has quite a nice place to go and, and however many thousand city fans can go out there and uh, and enjoy you know, Portuguese beer in, in the plazas and, and have a lovely weekend. Um, and then, about a day after that, when the details came out, uh, it emerged that Portugal actually doesn't want British people no. going, to, no. <laughs> going to Portugal yet uh, because of COVID. Um, and what they were actually proposing was taking, I think, 6,000 City fans and then 6,000 Chelsea fans um, in a bubble from presumably Manchester Airport on charter flights, uh, arrive in a, por- a Portuguese airport, get put into a coach, taken to the stadium, watch a game, put back in a coach, taken back to the airport and taken back to Manchester again without ever actually seeing Portugal beyond mm. the um, the... Stadium of Light, whichever stadium it's going to be at. Um, that's not Porto, is it? Forget you. <laughs> Whatever Porto Stadium's called. Um, and, you know, the, the whole experience sounds like, you know, really pretty horrendous, to be honest. I mean, obviously seeing City Costly Champions League as well. final. I mean, uh, and the costage is phenomenal. Yeah. And then, um, I, I was just about, you know, trying to wrap my head around this last night, um, when I had Sky Sports News on and they were talking about why this has happened and it finally occurred to me um, what the problem was with moving the game to England. It was that the British government were refusing to waive uh, COVID quarantine restrictions, not for players, not for officials, but for thousands of UEFA fucking blazers um, and, and CEOs of corporate sponsors who want to come from all over the world without the inconvenience of having to be quarantined, um, and, the, and they are being allowed to go to Portugal to go to the game when they would not be allowed to come to uh, London or Cardiff or, or anywhere here. Um, and City fans and Chelsea fans are being asked to fork out hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, of extra money um, and being messed around in the most god-awful, impossible ways. I mean, I don't know if anyone who follows Stefan, one of our yes, uh, occasional yeah, yeah. N9320 uh, contributors on uh, on Twitter, he's been detailing all the flights he's been buying and cancelling to Istanbul and Portugal and, you know, trying to get himself to this game, um, costing him a fortune already. Uh, and this is, you know, happening with everyone from either team, uh, all completely unnecessary, so that these twats from UEFA can can go along and get their corporate executive box at the final, um, rather than having to to you know give their UEFA complimentary tickets away to people here in the UK who I'm sure would be perfectly happy to happen. Um, and all of this is being done purely for the benefit of of UEFA officials and no one else. Um, all the technical 
staff, the camera teams, all of it are already there. They can use British crews to to do the broadcast, you know, more competently than they can anywhere else. Um, there's no excuse for it. I'm, I'm, I've just been appalled and shocked. I don't know how it's possible for me to be appalled and shocked at UEFA anymore. Yeah. But lo and behold, they've found yeah. a whole new way of doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, Adam, have you ever attempted to go out there? Um, what I'm, I'm assuming you know guys who are going out there. Yeah. Um, what's been your experience of, of the past few days? I had a look um, and considered it. And then my thinking was if I was going to go, I'd go on City's trip. Um, but there was there was a part of me yesterday and I was chatting to a few, few mates on WhatsApp and whatnot, um, saying that it was worrying me that City hadn't released their plans yet. Mm. so they'd release the thing that it's going to be in Porto and more details will come and I thought what are they waiting for because they'll have known about this so that worried me a little bit I would have gone if it was in the UK um, just for ease and for cost and having looked at the Porto trip unless there's a, a city trip that is slightly affordable there's no way that I'm I'm going to be going which is a shame I've, I've seen us win everything that there is to win, fortunately. Um, I've been all over the place for the Champions League and it's always been great, but the restrictions and the testing and this bubble thing that they're speaking of, it's just a bit too much for me. And I feel I really, really feel for some of uh, the lads and some of the girls that have spent a lot of money already on booking these trips, um, finding ways of getting there. Some people who are flying to the arse end of nowhere in Portugal and getting eight hour trains and the rest of it, as you'd expect, because that that's what fans do and they'll, they'll do anything to be there. And they're the ones who have been to every game over the years and have waited for this game. Like people have waited for this opportunity and 6,000 is never going to be enough, but it would satisfy those 6,000 who've been to Russia and to Kiev yeah, and to, yeah. to everywhere possible. This is what they deserve. And as Ali said, UEFA are making it as difficult as possible just to get their men and women from all over the world in the posh boxes to come in. And it it's not on, but it's so predictable. It's so predictable. And I, I kind of feel for the, the clubs, especially in this point, because they don't know if they're coming or going. And uh, even when we, we started the pod half an hour ago, there was more reports saying that um, it's nobody knows yet. It's going to be days until they find out. And it's two weeks away. It's two weeks tomorrow. And fans don't know yet if the the two grand they've spent on getting there and staying there is going to be for nothing. And that's the shambles of it all. UEFA should never have announced that this was going to be in Porto before knowing if the fans they promised can go there can actually be allowed in. That's for hard. That, that yeah, was yeah. what mm. has really, really got me is... They could have waited. It wouldn't have been ideal for anyone booking trips, but they could have waited the extra day or two to say, yes, this is possible. We can do it. Instead, they've let people spend all the hard-earned cash and people have saved up for this. Like I, I know people who've, who've spent a fortune to get there because they want to be there and they don't know if they've wasted the money. And mm. what could happen realistically at this point is City or Chelsea are going to lift the Champions League in front of 20,000 nobodies because UEFA couldn't be asked getting it right. And that's that's just totally wrong. If there's people there and they're not fans, they've they've just clowned everyone, haven't they? Yeah. Um 
Yeah, I completely agree. Harry, mm. does, it, does this really get to the heart of the problem with FIFA and UEFA and all the governing bodies across football, where essentially they take fans for granted? And so what they've done in this instance, exactly as Adam said, is, you know, they've gone ahead with their plans and then they're tweaking it and tweaking it as they go along. They're making it up as they go along, frankly. And to the detriment of supporters, because people yep. need to have their plans in place. They need to know. So mm-hmm. does this really come down to the fact of just taking fans for granted and not releasing information, solid, reliable information, when they get it, and then sticking to that? Yeah, I think everything that's been said is spawn. I think the word predictable is, is about right. I, I, I found it quite hard to digest couple of weeks ago when with the Super League stuff that UEFA was being made out to be like some sort of knights in shining armour. <laughs> oh, that seems a long, long time ago now. It just, it just shows what they're like. They don't care. I mean, that, honestly, God, I echo everything that's been said. Just the stuff that's been brought out since, since you know, they were, said they were allowed to travel to Portugal and obviously the reports at first were Wembley, um, which would obviously have made 10 times more sense. But obviously UEFA don't know what sense is. Um, so now it's in Portugal. I just... I was I was a bit worried about the the club as well about them not releasing any information because I don't know if they were even more confused about what was going yeah. on. Um and now look I know a lot of people who've who've booked flights and I know a couple of years ago when Liverpool were in the cup final a good mate of mine went to Ireland first then to France and then to Spain just to get there. Um and I know another lad the other day who went to book return flights for like 200 quid and then as soon as it was announced it was shot up to 400 quid. So these lads and girls and uh, etc are paying so much money and it could be useless in the end they could be stuck in a hotel while you know City are lifting the European Cup similar for Chelsea fans you know as well Chelsea would be exactly the same I'm sure they're in the same situation I'm not sure about what the club have done in Chelsea's situation but I assume it's more of the same just more and more confusion Um, especially especially this close to it they should have had definitely more sort of proper plans in place it should have had proper plans in place to be honest as soon as the 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 semi-final was done because it was quite clear that it was never going to be able to do it in Istanbul with the rising cases of Covid there which so for me it's ridiculous that it's taken this long to get to a decision they could have done it ages ago yeah yeah. They, they could have done this months and months and months ago because Istanbul they promised to take it to Istanbul because it wasn't there last year which I understand but why did they have to make the decision two weeks out to move it to another country and I, I've just read whilst whilst Harry was saying that about uh, UEFA's announcement when they moved it to Porto, and it says six thousand fans will be allowed to go to the game. They, but six thousand fans might not be allowed to be let into the country. So mm. it's, it's fine saying, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to allow this many seats, but they didn't even know if they're going to be let in. So it's yeah, it's, it's bollocks. I really, really, really hope it gets solved because um, yeah. the Chelsea fans as well. Uh, in exactly the same boat and they should they should we should feel the same towards them in this scenario that 12,000 people have probably spent an awful lot of money and don't know if this time in two weeks they're going to be able to travel or not and they don't know if yes they can travel but will they be able to go and watch one of the games of their lives it's it's a lot of crap but hopefully it gets sorted um, one thing what hasn't been discussed, I think Harry mentioned it actually about the ticket pricing. Um, sorry, the, the hotel was it going up from two hundred to four hundred. Yeah, the travel industry deserves some flack here. I mean, they have really struggled in the last year or two, and and you know, um, 
God bless them for that and to get through and you know, let's hope the other jobs survive and all the rest of it. Of course, you know, we're thinking of the travel industry in this kind of COVID environment. However, we look back at two years ago when Tottenham played Liverpool. Liverpool fans and Tottenham fans were fleeced with the, the kind of flights just kind of escalating. Yeah. And that's been going on for years. Of course it has. Adam will know about that as well. You're travelling abroad, watching City. But... It, it felt like a real kind of watershed moment, like a real kind of breaking point where it was like, right, we've had enough of this. Um, just to use one example, and there's thousands of them out there with City fans right now, but one example is there's a girl I know on Twitter who booked uh, a hotel room for £360 or €360 Euros in, in, in Porto, sorry. Um, they suspected fraudulent activity on her card. She quickly remedied and said, no, it's not, it's fine. But they cancelled her booking in the meantime this took a very short amount of time to, to sort out they said okay yeah so you can have your room back 2200 pounds oh my god you can't treat people like that you can't you just cannot treat people like that but and that's just one of thousands of examples of, out there of people getting fleeced right now and being fleeced in, in an, an you know an environment of absolute uncertainty not knowing if they're even going to go and see the game it's it, it stinks to high heaven frankly um Okay, let's move on to happier, happier thoughts and Newcastle mm. tonight. <laughs> yes, isn't it? Isn't it mad that we won the league on Tuesday? We will find anything to moan about. Oh God, yes, it's a celebratory <laughs> podcast, wasn't it? Yeah. Just, just give us, give us absolutely anything, and we'll go off for ten minutes. Don't you worry. I was, I was tempted to have a glass of wine with this, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> I'll be morose, absolutely morose right now. Uh, okay, Newcastle tonight, uh, league champions, go northeast. Lineup should be very interesting for this one. Um, Ali, how weak in the side do you think Pep will put out? Uh, I genuinely have no idea. I'm completely <laughs> yeah, stumped on this one. Um, what I'll tell you what I would like to happen. Uh, this game and the, the two that follow, um, I would like our teams to basically be selected by the physiotherapists, the biotechnicians, <laughs> and the guys who work the machines that go ping. Um, I would like... <laughs> all our best players to be uh, managed their match fitness um, free from injury uh, peak physical mental emotional condition for uh, May 29th yeah and uh, I I genuinely don't know how you get it it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult balancing act um, because for example we know Kevin won't be playing tonight he's got a slight thigh injury um, Kevin usually takes a game or two. Uh, at full speed to be at his absolute best when he's had a couple of games off. Um, his first game back often isn't his best. So assuming his uh, thigh strain is very, very minor, um, I might quite like him to play. Uh, but is it Wednesday, the, the game we've got in between? And right, then yeah. the following Tuesday Sunday, night. Isn't it? Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah. is it Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday and then the following Sunday. Um, uh, it might be I'd, I want Kevin to play both of those um, if that's what it takes to get him to you know absolute peak match fitness for for the following weekend, um, but if there's a, a, a some sort of physiotherapeutic scan saying that it would be better that he he had one of those off or whatever, then do that. Um, and I really don't care what the results are, um, <laughs> and I don't know how you manage that. But I imagine what will go on is that um, most of these players will get sixty to ninety minutes. Uh, once or twice out of the three games. Um, and just quite how we balance that, I really don't care. Um, so I would expect to see some changes for all of the games that come. 
but actually I think all of our um, all of our first team players will be playing quite a lot of minutes and they will be expected to play them at absolute full belt. Um, and it would be fantastic if we could win our next three games, you know, like four nil, five nil, five nil, and go into the final with with like a huge, uh, you know, riding a wave of confidence. Yeah, with with no injuries. I mean, I think I think you're absolutely bang on what you say there. But if, if it's a given that the priority now is for that first fourteen, fifteen players to kind of you know alternate and just get enough minutes in their legs. In amongst that, Adam, can you see Palmer, Delap, Doyle featuring at some point in the games to come? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think this will be, as Ali put, spot on that the players will need some momentum, they'll need some rhythm. Um, they'll they'll all get an hour in most of the games, I imagine. But it's also about, um, so that it's the same argument that I think we had last week, that you can't put Doyle in at the moment ahead of, uh, sorry, you can't put Palmer in ahead of Torres or Sterling or Jesus or Aguero because it's we might need one of them yeah, for yeah. a Champions League yeah. final and it, it's just going to rub them up the wrong way. And the other thing at the moment is we need to force some of these players into form. Some of them are so scarily out of form that it's it's just a bit weird. Um, I'd put Jesus and Sterling right at the top of that being Sterling's biggest fan, but they're so out of form and there's a there's a genuine chance we might need them to play a Champions League final. So they'll they'll play tonight. Um, it will be probably another wild team. I wouldn't be surprised if Pep tries something different again, like he did against Chelsea, just to assess uh, where players can play and if they can play in any different positions going into the final. I think the other thing to note is Chelsea have got three huge games now in the league to get Champions League football next season. And their first team will be pretty strong for those three games and they'll have the rhythm in the legs and yes they're risking injury but they're going to be firing going into the into the uh, the final I think the only thing I'd probably disagree with because I'm a bit of a sadist is um, Ali saying I hope we win 4-5-0 I wouldn't have minded these last three games being dead tough like three really tough games to, to test us yeah um, like, like Chelsea yeah like the Chelsea game like other games that have come before. No, I mean, sorry, like, like Chelsea. Like oh, said, sorry, Ch- yeah, like Chelsea's, Chelsea's got, got, yeah. 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 Um, they've got Leicester next, haven't they? So yeah. they've got proper tough challenges. I, I wouldn't have minded if we'd have had that just to be really competitive. And it, it's not yeah. going to be three easy games, but the three games that are quite favourable. So I expect you'll see it'll be very similar to the Chelsea lineup. I don't think he'll go for that weird formation again, but uh, he's just going to rotate and rotate and rotate and I think tonight will be a pretty strong team. I think Gundogan will come back in. Um, we always seem to lack a lot. I think Foden might play, um, but then they might not play on Tuesday. So it's a big balancing act, and it's basically try not to get anyone injured and try to make sure everyone's fit. The De Bruyne thing worries me slightly. Um, as Ali said, he takes a little bit of time to get back up to speed, mm. and we don't have that many games for him to do so. Although I do expect when the season ends next week... Um, I imagine City behind closed doors will play a couple of games um, just to make sure that that team are ready. Yeah. I mean, it would be quite... Uh, just extending on what you're saying about kind of, you know, needing challenging games going into this. We've been quite unfortunate, really, because having Newcastle and Brighton, if events hadn't gone a certain way where these three teams were already down, you know, Fulham and West Brom, etc., Newcastle and Brighton could conceivably have been involved in a relegation fight and that would have been kind of a perfect balance where you're playing an yeah. inferior team who have something to play for um, but alas not to be um, 
Okay, how do you, what do you think the lineup will actually be tonight? What do you reckon the, the, the shape of the team will be? Um, I think he'll go back to the sort of four three three. I agree. I don't think we'll see that weird formation again. Um, it was very hard on Rodri. I thought to do the running of three people on yes. his own. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 it's a mixture in it. There's a couple of lads I think who are who will still want to prove or put just some sort of selection doubt in in Pep's mind for the final. I, I think Sterling is the the main one. Maybe Laporte as well. Uh, Cancelo, I think. Uh, as well, so I think I think them three will play. Um, other than that, I think you'll you'll see a few of the regulars, like Adam said. I think Diaz this will play for virtually every single game. Um, uh, Gundogan as well, Foden as well. So the only ones I can really see not playing much for me would be Kyle Walker and and Ria Maris, um, because the rest of the the rest of the positions, I think, I mean. There's a few positions there that are definite starters for the final, but there is a few positions where, even though for me that the team that played in the second leg of the, the semi-final plays in the final, there's still um, a good chance for them in these three games to put some sort of doubts into Pep's mind and into who he picks in the starting eleven. Mm. Okay, um, Alex, score prediction. Uh, I will go for despite what I just said. Um, I. Slightly dry two nil city. Yeah, it's a tricky one because Newcastle are kind of you know picking up, but they're just they're all over the place. Yeah, all season. There's no Callum Wilson, I don't think, for Newcastle, which is massive for right. City um, because he's been obviously on fire this this last couple of weeks. So, how are you score predicting for yourself? I think just because of the fact he, he he's going to go a bit stronger, I'm going to go four nil City. Okay, uh, Adam. Uh, I think it's going to be chaos ball. Um, <laughs> I do I, hope so. I'm gonna go for mm, four one. Okay, I'm going for a safe two one for City. Um, Aww, I know, I, I know. Um, right, let's end today on um, yes. a, a player who I just adore, frankly. Um, and you know what? What's, what's rare about this particular player is he's someone who I love more and more as time goes on, which I haven't really encountered with players before. Um, Fernandinho is just. In the last couple of years, you know, I've loved him for, since he's come, but in the last couple of years now, he is really up there amongst my favourite players, and I would say he's a player I most admire as well. Um, he really sets a standard, and we've seen, because as we discussed earlier in the pod about what happened this season to, to make us champions, he was right at the centre of that and kind of taking control of the lads. And um, Adam, I'll start with you, Fernandinho. Uh, set to sign a, a contract extension hopefully it's been revealed this week how important is he to City how impossible will be will be he to replace uh, he's he has become one of our all time most important players uh, I'd put him now within that kind of top bracket the top five of your company Silver Aguero yeah. the IR yeah, you'd put definitely. him in there um, one of our most important signings and his longevity has been outrageous. Um, he's, I think the thing with him is he's not a loud leader uh, like a company or at the moment a Diaz who's loud and uh, one of those who shouts the loudest. He's a quiet leader who gets it done off the pitch. We know that it was, a, according to all sources, it was his rallying cry to the team after the West mm. Brom game that turned the season around. He, the way he plays as well, it I, you can't really compare him to anyone. 
I had this discussion the other day about players in his position throughout the Premier League era. There really hasn't been anyone like him, I don't think. I don't think he is comparable because he played at centre-back when we won the league and he had no right to be playing at centre-half. And it, it didn't work out for too long because he's he's not getting any younger and he's he's not blessed with the, the going backwards pace. But he's he's been glorious, hasn't he? Um, I really struggle to to define him. He's a, he's a good person as well, and I think that that says a lot. And to have Pep's trust in the way that Fernandinho's had also says a lot because we know what Pep can be like with um, who he who, which basically which player he trusts the most. And he is almost his coach on the field. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He he directs everything. We can't replace him because there isn't another player like him. But we can't replace any of the players who've gone over the past few years, Silver, Company, you can't replace those players. You've just got to do something slightly different, which we see from Rodri. He has to stick around next year, even if he plays five minutes throughout the season, just to rub off on the other players and teach the other players what it means and how to get things won and how to be. And I think that this will always go back to when he joined the club. And you see this on Twitter all the time that, he literally paid to come to City. Mm. He paid for his transfer fee, the the remainder of it, to make sure the deal went through. And it wasn't it mustn't have been an easy move to, to come over to Manchester from Ukraine and he's been excellent. And I'd be really sad if he left this year. But hopefully. I don't think he will be now. I don't think he will. And and his kids have a Mancunian accent, which is yes. <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. It's um, wild, isn't it? Would you yeah. I think comparing him to former City players and players who've who've won our hearts, he's got the Zabaletta about him. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good he's comparison. Got, yeah, he's yeah. got yeah. that. Um and I well, I'll never use the term he gets it because the it doesn't exist. But he feels like he knows the fans. Mm. Without being mm. loud about it, he just He's got the passion that Zabaleta had. And I think for that, you, you can't buy that. You just cannot mm. buy a player who is going to play like... If I had, if I was playing in centre midfield, I'd like to play like him. Um, so, yeah. yeah I th- incredible. I think you made a really good point as well about him being Pep's coach on the pitch because yeah. too often we simplify matters in football and say that a team needs a leader. And, you know, when, when Vinny left, we, we were without a leader. Diaz has come in, we now have a leader. It's... It's too simplified that. It's not about having a leader. It's about having yeah. a coach on the pitch who basically is the manager's eyes uh, and knows exactly what you know his his gaffer wants uh, and implements it on the pitch. And that's what he does. Yeah. Harry, do you think he is somewhat undervalued? Not that it matters, of course, but do you think he's somewhat under, undervalued by other fan bases? No, I don't think he actually is because I think other fan bases are really jealous of him because they hate him so much. <laughs> He's, he, fa- he, he falls into that sort of, I'd say, Diego Costa sort of thing where it's like, if you if you had him, you love him. If you yeah, played yeah. against him, you hate him because his his ability to, to read a game and his football intelligence will be so hard to replace um, and just know what it needs, the game, to wrestle it back into City's favour is sort of second to none to any other player I've seen in terms of that sitter. I think it's a brilliant point. He's an adopted mank now. Yeah. He falls into that sort of, 
Zabaleta company category of, you know, he's immersed himself in his city. I mean, his son is so good. I mean, his social media, <laughs> Fernandinho shares it all the time. His reaction to um, Fernandinho's goal in the, the semi-final against United is just fantastic. <laughs> and the, his family love him. There's a video of him coming home and the oh, family cheering. And, this. you know, he just he just loves the city. Um, and I, I completely agree. Another year around... Um, around Rodri and even the the younger lads. I mean, um, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Rom- Romeo Lavia. I think I'm saying that right. Completely raves about him on social media. The guy who's performing well in the EDS. Tommy right. Doyle as well. Obviously, learned a lot from him as well. Even if he has a severely reduced rate next season, I'm absolutely over the moon. He's an absolute role model as a captain this season, and so just have him around the place will be will be absolutely massive. Um, Ali, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that one of the reasons that you love Ferner so much is very similar to one of the reasons I love him so much. He is the best shithouse out there. <laughs> he can foul and foul and foul and get a yellow card in the 87th minute and basically any other player would have been sent off in the 23rd minute. Um, it's, it's a skill in itself and it should oh, be I think one of my favourite Fernandinho um, uh, illustrations, I guess, uh, a, a little while ago there was a video doing the rounds on Twitter and social media um, of Harry Kane being an absolute twat, backing into people with his mm, head yeah. when they're in the air, so they, he flips them upside down uh, and and then winning a, a foul or a penalty or whatever, which is Harry, Harry Kane's signature shithouse move yeah. that he's done however many dozens of times and he seems to get away with it every time. Well, this video of a, um, a compilation of Harry Kane pulling this move, um, the final one was him doing it to Fernandinho and Fernandinho somehow managed to spin like half a somersault and land with his elbow on Harry Kane's face <laughs> and that's what happens when you try to out shithouse Fernandinho um, it's just a beautiful thing and yeah. and yeah you're absolutely right and he niggles like nobody else I've ever seen in football you know just those little um, beige cards you know, beige yeah, card tackles yeah, yeah. that he does all the time, just a little bit below a yellow card. Um, and the other thing I'll, I'll say about him just very quickly, I think it was on the our, our pals at the Noisy Neighbours podcast uh, said a, a, a show or two ago um, that if you had to clone one player 11 times and play him in every position on the pitch, <laughs> uh, then Fernandinho would be the one you would pick. Uh, there, There's nobody else would beat a team of Fernandinho's um, I think that's absolutely right. I can't think of anyone in, in Premier League history, uh, as long as I've been watching football, that's got such a, a completely rounded set of, of skills. He can score goals, he can tackle, he can pass. Um, he, he, he's got it all. I bet you could put him in goal. He's maybe not quite, maybe not quite at Kyle Walker levels if you put him in goal, but he would, he, he would, uh, he would get close. He would do a job for you. Um, he's uh, just what you said at the beginning. I kind of I I loved him in his first few years, but the longer he stayed, the the more I've loved him. And and uh, and he's an, he's the king. <laughs> you kind of you think about all the um all the different uh, roles that different players play at Man City nowadays, uh, and there is just something absolutely majestic about Fernandinho, kind of at the uh, sitting on the top throne. I think. Well, let's hope that uh, for the Everton game to wrap the season off, um, Pep plays Fernandinho in goal and Edison in midfield. (laughs) 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 Just to wrap things up today, lads, we can't forget, of course, there's an FA Cup final tomorrow. Um, Just kind of one-word answer. Who, Actually, two-word answer from both of you. Who do you want to win and who do you think will win, Harry? Um, 
obviously I want Leicester just for Kelechi, um, but yeah. I think Chelsea's pace will be a nightmare, especially if Johnny Evans is injured for, for Leicester. Yes, yeah. Uh, Adam? Uh, Chelsea win it in extra time. Yeah, I've got 2-0 Chelsea. I've just got a bad feeling that it's going to be a really boring 2-0. Uh, Ali? Mm. Yeah, I think Chelsea win the final quite easily, but then twisting the tail, I think Leicester beat them in the league on Tuesday. Nice. Ooh, I think, Ooh. and the, the other thing here is, um, very, very quickly, I think this will show how Chelsea are going to set up in a cup final. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's a good So we'll, we'll be able to see if they're going to try and bore it or they're going to try and win it. We're all Can I just scouts, add, add one point, Steve, if I, yeah. if I may indulge myself? I'm, I'm not that bothered about the FA Cup final because I'm mainly looking forward to the, uh, the the big final later in the month, two world-class teams. Um, and after St. Johnson play, <laughs> <in the Spanish. laughs> then, then I'll enjoy the uh, Champions League final well as well. Played, sir. Well played. <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining me today, Ali. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Pleasure. Cheers, Harry. Cheers, mate. Nice one, mate. Uh, and thanks for listening in, everyone. Uh, we're off to get our pyjamas ready so we can lounge around all day tomorrow watching a build-up to the FA Cup final. Laughing at Satan Greaves as they interview random celebrities like Lisa Goddard and Frank Bruno outside Wembley Stadium as a helicopter follows the journey of a team coaches through North London. Then, straight after the game, it's into the back garden to try and recreate the winning goal. As the author Dorothy Fisher once said, those who love deeply never get old. Have a great weekend, everyone, and forever up the title-winning, piss-boiling, utterly magnificent blues.